Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host for the Post Money Plan podcast. As always, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge. So my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought on topics within personal finance, economics, and investing. Don't forget, you can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. So today I'm going to be talking with my guests about car maintenance and car repairs. Since I recently bought a car, I think it's actually pretty good timing. I didn't plan this originally, but it has worked out that way. So I have on the show with me my cousin Andy, who is a car mechanic and has been repairing cars for many years now, and also my dad, who has owned several, several (laughs) used cars over the years and had to deal with the repairs associated with that. So welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thank you. Hi, how are you doing? Okay, since we have a lot to cover, I'll break this up into a two-part episode. In this first part, we can cover the things that go bad with your car, preventative maintenance, really expensive things to fix, and what you might be able to do yourself. So then in the second half, we can cover top recommendations to save money on car repairs, and then how to decide whether it's better to pour money into repairs or just get a new car. All right, so let's just take a turn with each of you guys to tell a little bit more about yourselves. So, Andy, could you just share a little bit about your background dealing with cars? Sure. As a kid in high school, I went to VoTech for automotive technology. From there, I went to Northampton Community College for what's called the Chrysler Apprenticeship Program, where I got trained specifically on Chryslers and worked at a dealership to get an associate's degree in automotive applied sciences. I worked on Chrysler's from 2000 to 2009, and now I actually work on Ford's. I just recently got my senior master status for Ford, which is pretty much the highest status that you can get certification-wise through Ford. So I've been doing this a total of 17 years. Anything from rebuilding engines to transmissions to AC work, regular service maintenance type things, I haven't done it all, but I've seen a lot, and um, that's really my background. Okay, cool. And, Dad, if you could share a little bit about your experience with used cars. Yeah, um, mine is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. So, first time I did any maintenance on a car was after I owned one, and uh, basically all of my knowledge comes from doing things the wrong way first, and it costing me money, and learning the hard way how to replace and repair. At one time or another, I have replaced every single part on a car. I've rebuilt engines, differentials, transmissions, all of that, basically because I bought old junkers that should have been in the junkyard, trying to get a little bit more life out of them, and uh, made them operable for a little bit longer. And through that, I learned what I would call some common sense things that a lot of people grow up with, but was new to me. All right. So with those things being said, Andy, what are some of the most common things that can go wrong with cars these days? Well, it it's kind of a broad question. I mean, really, it's the same things that have been going bad for years, tires, brakes, things of that nature. Now, as far as what we're seeing more and more of is oil change intervals are being extended longer. It used to be every 3,000 miles. 
how we have different kind of motor oils that are extending the life of the oil. However, sometimes taking it too far, starting to see issues because the way the engines are built nowadays, they kind of can't take as much abuse almost as far as when it comes to the oil breaking down, which can be a costly repair if it's not under warranty. You know, your typical service intervals have changed a lot in the fact that plugs and wires, spark plugs and plug wires that used to get changed every 30, 60,000 miles are no more. 90% of the engines out there are using platinum plugs, which have much greater longevity. So you're not having to do as much anymore as far as tune-ups and things like that. So things that used to go bad before, they've kind of made it cheaper in the way of, as far as maintenance goes, there's less to do. But the same things, tires wearing out because the alignment could be off, brakes that pulsate, rotors that pulsate because they get too hot or, you know, depending on driving habits. Really, it's uh, a lot of computer issues, really, too. It's amazing how much we fix nowadays with changing the software. You know, the manufacturer will see a problem that comes up and transmission shifting issues can sometimes be corrected just by a different shift strategy that we download from the manufacturer and upload into the car and, and it fixes ways the car shifts. A lot is done with the computer nowadays, big time. Now, is there a year you would say there's like a, a cutoff on cars before a certain year tend to have a lot more things that go wrong or would you not put it um, like that? Yeah, well... When I started back in 2000, you didn't have as much. You still had your engine computer, possibly a computer for the transmission, and maybe a couple other, like an airbag module or computer, which, you know, you had maybe a handful of computers on a car. Now there's anywhere from the high-end Lincolns can have 40 modules, or when I say module, you could also say computer. I would say probably like 2005, 2006, we started Bluetooth connectivity with phones. And kind of after that, especially with all the technology, it's just really just taken off. So I've seen the transition of technology over the last 17 years. And it's very remarkable what cars are capable of doing, yet it also makes them more complicated to work on, to diagnose so you say common things going wrong with a car, there can be people having trouble pairing their phones, an update for it, that's a known thing. And then there are other problems that really, there are some days where I get beat up pretty good trying to, to figure out what exactly is going on. So sometimes it can be very difficult to figure out things and, and you do have those oddball jobs, electrical issues that come in. But as far as how an engine works, it's always been the same. You know, you need spark, you need air, and you need fuel and some compression. And that hasn't really changed all that much because that's just how a four-stroke engine works. So, but yeah, the four-stroke engine's been the same principle or the same formula forever, really. All right, let me jump in here. So, Dad, over the last 40 years, how many cars would you estimate that you've owned? Five dozen. You said five dozen? Yes. Sixty cars, probably. <laughs> I uh, could believe that. I could believe that. Okay. And then bearing in mind that a lot of these cars are from a long time ago, so 
it may be like slightly outdated on a technical basis, but what are some of the common themes that you've had with your cars in terms of problems and things to be watching out for and stuff like that? Yeah, I was going to ask Andy how his feel from a professional level about how he feels about some of the simplistic things I've come up with. And what I mean by that is I have found through experience from my own vehicles, starting out with cars that were ready to go to the junk heap when I bought them, and I needed to get another 50,000 miles out of the car before it died or something like that, that for me, through trial and error, the things that I found that are helpful and important are if you can do a regular check on your fluid levels and make sure that everything is topped off, not overfilled, not underfilled, topped off. And what fluids are you talking about? That would be your oil, antifreeze, coolant, whatever, brake fluid, power steering fluid, transmission fluid, even your windshield washer fluid. Basically, anything liquid, if you keep a car lubed up, I'm using lube to mean fluids, then your chances of having additional life out of the vehicle are significantly increased. Similarly, belts and hoses. Belts and hoses, they're basically a rubber or neoprene-based product, and although they have a long life, they do age, dry rot, whatever you want to say. So if you can do some preventive stuff where at some preset interval, you know, I'm not going to wait for my, all my hoses or belts to fail. I'm going to simply change them out ahead of time. And instead of throwing the old ones away, I'm going to put them in a grocery bag and keep them in my trunk as an emergency backup should I have a failure. That's um, an excellent idea. That's Brilliant, brilliant. If I could add to that, you really hit the nail on the head there as far as checking your oil level, your coolant level, transmission fluid. Transmission fluid expands in volume the warmer it gets. That's why you typically want to check them when they are at running temperature. And all those things, power steering fluid, especially before you're going to make a trip. If you're capable of doing that yourself, that's great. One thing to add to that, though, that I see as far as vehicles today, they're not making it easy for the average person, making it more difficult for someone even with a basic knowledge and even a little bit above that to do. I'll give you some examples. They're starting cars. The transmissions don't have dipsticks. So not saying that you couldn't check the fluid level in them, can I jump in for your experience yes. on this? Again, being an old timer, one of the things about your fluid levels, you could visually look at your antifreeze, you could visually look at yes. your oil, you could visually look at your transmission fluid and tell, I'm getting close to trouble here, I need to change this out. Right, yeah, absolutely. Not necessarily having to take the radiator cap off. If you know where your coolant reservoir is and you can see the fluid in there and you can just take a look at it and see like, you know, okay, that antifreeze maybe doesn't look right or dirty or maybe an odor to it. Coolant back in the day used to always be just green, ethylene glycol. Now there's gold, orange, regular premium green coolant, you know, so... Depending on the make of your car, one Ford could take gold coolant and one take orange coolant. 
want to make sure that if you are going to be topping off your own fluids, that you are putting in the right coolant, even oil. Using the wrong oil can cause problems, but mixing coolants that don't really work together or that shouldn't be together can cause some serious issues just as far as corroding. You know, I've seen Chryslers that the coolant breaks down if it's not changed at the right intervals and it builds up this like white flaky material. And usually the complaint is uh, I have no heat out of one side of my dash, like the passenger side of my dash. And what it actually comes out to be is the coolant breaking down because it wasn't maintained. Those flakes collected in the heater core and just blocked off a certain part of it. And now you have no heat. You can try flushing it out, the heater core, because I've done that. And those little white flakes have worked themselves through the entire cooling system. And just flushing out the heater core might work for a week or two. And then next thing you know, you have no heat again. Because now you're going to need a heater core, any heat exchanging component in the cooling system, meaning radiator, heater core. Certain engines have oil coolers to cool the oil that use the cooling system. And if it has any fins in it where those particles clog up, they've got to be replaced. A heater core, you have to pull the dash out. Radiators, some are easier than others, but you might have to pull the front bumper off the car just to access this stuff, evacuate and recharge the AC system. So that little not servicing it, maybe spending 130 bucks on a cooling system flush to just get that old gunk stuff that's starting to break down, passing up on that could end up costing you easily a couple thousand dollars. That's what I meant about learning the hard way. I made those errors early on in my life. I thought I was saving money by not spending the $130 for the flush, and I end up spending the $2,500 to have the whole system replaced. Right. I think one of the key things that I see a lot of people neglecting to do and where they could save money is just reading through their owner's manual. Well, so then um, let me take that opportunity to ask about the major car problems that are extremely expensive to fix. Like, what are some of the expensive parts and, and things that have to be fixed that cost a ton? Your most expensive things are going to be, obviously, your engines, your transmissions, because there's a lot of labor involved when you have a catastrophic engine failure. So they're very expensive to fix. If you had to replace engine and cylinders, like we're talking like almost $10,000 potentially? Depends on the type of car? Depends on the type of car. Now, obviously, like uh, your BMWs and Mercedes, yeah, you could easily spend $10,000. I've put engines in Ford F-150s with a 5.4 liter that just the engine itself, a reman engine, long block, which means it's the engine block and the cylinder heads, just that engine there four thousand dollars just for the engine and then you add the labor on top of it and yeah you're spending close to eight thousand dollars um, just to make sure andy for someone that's not familiar with the terminology when you say reman you mean remanufactured engine in other words it's an engine that came from the factory but it's been reworked it's not the cost of a brand new one which will right. be even higher right yeah that's exactly right Versus uh, a junk, getting an engine from a junkyard, which is kind of, you got a 50-50 shot. Um, <laughs> at, you got a 50-50 shot. What I'll usually do is I'll price out a, a junkyard engine, I'll price out a reman, 
and I've had them where they put a junkyard engine in and put that one in and oh boy, it has no oil pressure and then had to take that new junkyard engine out and then they decided to go with a reman and do the job twice, which that can be very expensive and frustrating and, and you know, you don't know what you're getting with the junkyard engine. But I mean, if I needed to and didn't have the money for a reman, put a junkyard engine in, sure. With your high level of knowledge about engines though, there's still risk involved, isn't there, Andy? Even with a super experienced mechanic and going to the junkyard and doing that, you're still at high risk. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a gamble. It's a gamble and hope you could get one that's perfectly fine. Let me move it forward. So you mentioned before about the transmission. So if that's the next really big expensive item, what price range are we talking there if you had to replace your transmission potentially? Replacing, I mean, you're talking thousands. And with certain vehicles now, specifically like Ford, replacing a transmission, there are things that you would almost have to take it to the dealer to make sure everything's programmed right. Basically, an overhaul can be cheaper in the sense that if you can actually take it out and repair it, if you have an experienced transmission guy that can properly diagnose the transmission while it's still in the car, take it out and fixing that and putting it back together would probably be your most cost-effective, cheapest way to do it. Less parts price, maybe a little more labor. And typically most like transmission shops or dealerships would warranty that repair, even for an overhaul might have a one year, 12,000 mile warranty on that. If you were to replace it with a remanufactured transmission, you're putting out more in parts as far as cost goes, but just swapping a transmission is less labor. I mean, obviously with an overhaul, you're removing the transmission, you're disassembling it, you're putting it back together, and then you're putting it back in, where a swap, you're spending more in parts, but along with spending more in parts is most manufacturers, if you buy a reman, will offer a three-year unlimited mileage warranty on that transmission. So you kind of have to weigh your options there as far as how much money do you have to spend. And if it goes bad, will it be covered? But back to uh, having things programmed, when you're changing parts out like that, especially with electronic automatic transmissions, there's sometimes shift strategies and identification numbers on solenoid bodies that have to be the engine computer has to have that shift strategy programmed into it. So if you replace that component and you don't put the, the shift strategy number into the PCM, it's not going to shift right and it can actually cause catastrophic failure again. So cars like that, if you're capable enough to do a transmission swap on something newer, sometimes it might pay to do a little research first. And okay, if I'm replacing this with a junkyard that came out of another vehicle, is there any programming that needs to be done for this to shift right? Because you don't want to end up spending the money and then ruining something. And at that point, if you do it yourself, it's kind of your own fault. So you're going to be on the hook for doing it over again and, and spending more money. So. It's getting harder and harder to do things on your own. If I could just use one example, I know someone who has an Audi, I believe it's an A5 2014, and it has no engine oil dipstick to check as far as popping the hood and checking the oil level. And the oil that they use in this engine has 12,000 mile interval for oil changes. 
and this is a turbocharged engine and over time every engine will start to especially with a turbo will consume oil now with that particular audi there's in the radio i believe they call it the mmi system multimedia interface system you can check your oil level because there's a sensor that can sense the oil level and you're supposed to really do that the owner's manual says check your oil level every time you fill up with gas and when I first read that, I was like, well, who's going to go pop their hood? And then with a little more research, oh, okay. They mean check your oil level with the computer in the car or with the, the radio or the display. What I'm getting at is it can be normal for engines nowadays to consume almost a quart of oil every thousand miles. And if you think about it, if it holds six quarts, it could be considered normal that it consumes a quart of oil every thousand miles. You want to be checking your oil level because all engines will start consuming oil. And, you know, it's just something to be aware of because that's where you get into running it low on oil over time. And then you have your catastrophic failure and then your engine needs to be replaced or rebuilt. You know, if you have a rod bearing that goes bad, you're not just pulling that piston out and putting a new bearing in or a new crank. You're going to get a short block, which is an assembled engine block. And, you know, there's your $2,000 for a short block and then all the labor to do it. Edify a little bit more, Andy. Okay, that short block cost you two grand, but I'm talking another $3,000 in labor to get it out and That's, back in again. Absolutely. And bolts. All the other things that go along with, you know, that's 2000 bucks just for the engine block. Well, you'll have 10, 12 head bolts that need to be replaced at 10 bucks a piece. You'll have all the gaskets and things that when you took them apart, you know, you don't want to reuse. So just that block is the big bulk of the price. However, all the other little stuff starts adding up too. Dad, can I ask you... What have some, been some of the most expensive things you've had to repair or the biggest mistakes that you've made? Uh, the biggest mistake that I made, I'll give your audience a good laugh here. Early on in my life, I had a Thunderbird and my idiot light came on that said I needed oil. Idiot light meaning it had only three pounds pressure on the oil gauge. Basically, I had run the engine dry of oil. And my simplistic thought, oh my goodness, I'm 30 miles from nowhere, I, my engine lights come on, I need to drive real fast to get there before it goes. <laughs> and of course, I shoot the rod through the cylinder wall. So if you can't get a laugh from that, then you, you're not paying attention. <laughs> Basically, it was cheaper to get a new car than to replace the engine in that case. That's that's how expensive that is. <laughs> so do not run your engine dry of oil. Oh, no. <laughs> On that note, uh, I'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, come back and listen to part two next time. Don't forget you can find us at postmoneyplan.com and subscribe to the Post Money Plan channel in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast. Thank you.